Amen. As you're taking your seat, go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, while you're turning there this morning, I want to let you know that we are talking about the subject of stewardship, and uh, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about stewardship, what makes a good steward, and what makes a poor steward. And to kind of guide our time this morning, I want to start with this simple definition. You'll see it there on your handout. This is the definition we're using for biblical stewardship. It's the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. All right? So make sure you catch all that. It's the careful and responsible management of something that's entrusted to one's care, all right? So it's something that does not belong to us. It's been entrusted to us by another, and it's our responsibility and opportunity to demonstrate that we can be careful uh, with it, right? And so uh, for many of you, you've had those opportunities throughout your life. You've probably been successful at some and maybe uh, not so successful at others. I was trying to remember this past week, what was like the first thing that I was entrusted with that had significant value? And, and the story that kept coming to my mind was the very first time that I got to watch my baby sister. Um, and so I'm, I'm significantly older than her. Um, I'm, I'm quite a bit older than her. In fact, I was a teenager when she was born, and so I had the opportunity at one point or some point for uh, my mom to trust me enough to leave me at home with my baby sister by ourselves, and uh, uh, we sat down and we went through all the stuff, right? You know, like good parents do. My mom wanted to make sure, like, are you, are you sure that you can handle this? Are you listening? And you're like, yes, I'm listening. And I used to wonder why she would ask that so many times, and then and then we had our own son, um, and now I know. So she, she was like, are you sure? Do you understand? Like, do you understand naps? Do you understand that you have to actually watch her, right? And, and yes, mom, I got it. Like, I can handle this, right? Like, this is my opportunity right here to show you just how uh, trustworthy I am. And so she gave me the opportunity. She and my, my dad, they departed wherever they were, were going and left me at home with, with my baby sister. And I think everything would have been fine um, had I not been so in love with Aaron at the time, right? And so we are high school sweethearts. Uh, she called on the phone, and this was back before, you know, cell phones. So you're pretty well, like, you know, talking on the phone in one room. And so at some point uh, in this babysitting adventure, uh, Aaron calls on the phone and uh, I just started talking with Aaron, like it was just her and I, you know, and I had no other responsibilities and uh, forgot a little bit about the toddler uh, sister. Uh, that is until my mom got home um, and all I heard was this blood curdling scream um, in the back. And then I remembered, oh yeah, I was supposed to be watching my sister, uh, which you never want to happen, right? And so I'm thinking, what has happened now? Let me just go ahead and let you know right now, nothing tragic happened to my sister. She's, you know, she's fine. As far as we can tell, she is fine to this day uh, because of anything that happened that day. But what she did do was she went into the bathroom and she took all the toilet paper off the roll and then she spread it all over the house, right? And then she ate almost all of the cat food that was in the bowl and, and, and what she didn't have the appetite for, it was still left there on the ground. And, and basically she had just gone room to room to room in the house and, and just dismantled the place, right? It, it looked like, like the house had been broken into by several toddlers. Um, and I'm in the, in the bedroom just talking away on, on the phone. And so um, I failed 
at that very first opportunity when I was entrusted with something of great value. And so I tell you that story to say that that is an example of what bad stewardship looks like, right? That is not careful or responsible. And so um, what we're going to talk about this morning is what does careful and responsible stewardship look like? So if we were to be good stewards, what does that mean? What does it look like? And we're going to go to the Bible to find all of our answers for that this morning. But here's where I'd like for us to start. I'd like for us to start with this, this understanding because it's, it's the basis, it's the foundation uh, for, for everything that we know about stewardship, okay? And it's this simple statement that Scripture teaches that God owns everything, okay? Very, very simply put, that God owns everything. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He is the owner of all things. And that's where we get the biblical concept of stewardship, and, and, and it helps guide us, right? So here's a couple of verses I wanted to share with you that just kind of build upon that. This is not an exhaustive list. If you want an exhaustive list, go do your own search, and there are many, many, many verses that you can look through that, that demonstrate that God is, in fact, the owner of all things, not just the creator, but he claims ownership of things. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So Paul's dealing with some issues here in, in the church in Corinth about uh, them boasting in things that they shouldn't boast in. And his, his response to him is, you can't boast in, in what you have because it's not really yours, right? Like, what do you have that wasn't given to you? Right? And it's given to you by God. Right, So even for those of us in the room that'd be like, listen, I worked hard for this. You did. And you may have worked hard, but ultimately it came to you via God. And so God is the owner of all things. Look at Psalm 24, verse 1. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, all right? And so this goes even further. It's saying the earth, very earth itself, everything that's on the earth and everyone who is in the earth belongs to God. Look at Job 41 verse 11. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Now, this is God talking to Job, and he's saying, like, listen, nothing's been given to me. I own all things. Everything under the whole heaven belongs to me. And then Psalm 50, verses 10 through 11, says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. And so, as I said, this is not an exhaustive list, just a couple of verses to, to help shape our understanding of stewardship, and it all starts right here with a good foundational understanding that everything in the world belongs to God, and that God is the owner of all things. And so with that in mind, we get to this, so therefore, we are stewards of all that God has entrusted to us right? If God owns all things, then all things that are here belong to him, and then I'm simply a steward of them, right? And so it's my responsibility, my opportunity to demonstrate careful and responsible management of those things. That is what stewardship is. And so let's, let's take a look. Great biblical biblical example is Matthew chapter 25. And so we're going to jump in. We're going to start reading at verse 14. 
This is a parable that you may be familiar with, or maybe you're not. It's called the parable of the talents. We'll get into a second of what that actually means, but it's basically a parable about this idea of biblical stewardship, okay? And so that's why we're headed here this morning to give us a good understanding of what we're talking about when it when it comes to biblical stewardship. All right, so Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. This is what it reads. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. And so in the very first two verses of this parable, uh, we're understanding the basics of stewardship, right? And so what's it saying is that it's like there's a man that's going on a journey and he's gonna be gone for some time and he's taking his property and he's giving it to these three men and he's not giving it to them to have as a gift, he's simply entrusting it to them for a season. And so the idea is that they're gonna have it now they're responsible for it. They're to take great care in dealing with it and managing, with it, managing it. And then at some point, the owner's going to return and, and he's going to uh, settle all of his accounts, right? And it says what he does is he gives each one according to their ability and he gives them talents, right? And so um, what I don't want you thinking is like talents as far as abilities, right? So it's not like he's giving them different talents, like one can ride a unicycle and one can juggle and, and whatever else your secret talent is. Like, those aren't the talents that we're talking about. Talents in this context is a sum of money, okay? And it's not just like a couple coins. It's not like he gave him, you know, five quarters and one gets two quarters and one gets, no. Like, it's a large, large sum of money. In fact, a talent is anywhere between 60 and 80 pounds of silver, all right, and so you can even just do like a quick uh, search on what that is worth an ounce, and you'll find out that we're talking about sums of money even in today's standards that are uh, north of a million dollars, okay? And so this would have been a significant amount of money. And so this is everything the man owns. Everything that he has, all of his property has been divvied up and given to these three guys. It's been entrusted to them. And remember, we're talking about stewardship being the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to you. So that's what he's done. He's taken all that he owns and he's given it to these three individuals and he's saying, listen, I want you to carefully and responsibly manage this until I return. And remember, this is a parable. So this is Jesus speaking in terms of, of, of uh, earthly context with a heavenly meaning, right? So he's trying to help us understand like, like you are the stewards here, right? Like everything that God has, like we talked about before, the owner of all things, he has entrusted you with some things according to your ability, right? And at some point he will return and you will be held responsible and accountable for what he's entrusted you. But let's continue to work our way through this. Look at verse 16. Let's see some of the outcome here. It says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also the one who had two talents made two talents more, but the one who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money, right? And now, so one of them responsibly and carefully responds and manages it well, and he turns it into an even greater investment, right? And then the second one does the same. And the third one, he takes what the master had given him, and he runs and he, and he buries it in the ground. Well, verse 19 tells us that at some point in time, the master returns. 
Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. So, hey, listen, it's time to bring the money back, right? It's time to see how you've done with what you've been entrusted with, right? Verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. Remember, this is a parable with a heavenly meaning. So this isn't just about the, the addition of money. This is, this is demonstrating that you are a good and faithful steward, right? That you can be trusted with things, right? So you've done your job. Look at verse 22. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward. And I always picture in my mind here a guy that is just covered in, in dirt and all messy, right? Because he had to go dig this stuff up. Right? So he, he comes before the master and he, he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. And so let's talk a little bit. Uh, why, why does this guy actually get in trouble here, right? It, it, it's, not, uh, it's not just a matter of, of the money, right? It, it's the fact that he, he demonstrated poor stewardship, what he was entrusted with. He didn't do what he was supposed to do with it. And not only did he not do what he's supposed to do with it, but, but really he demonstrates a, a deceitful heart in the whole thing because uh, the master ultimately calls him out. He's saying, listen, it doesn't make any sense that you would have taken what I entrusted to you and you went and buried it in the ground, right? The, the only plausible reason for him to take it and bury it in the ground is in his mind, if the master returns, I'll go dig it up and I'll give it right back. Or if the master doesn't return, I know exactly where it is so that I might keep it, right? So he's demonstrating poor stewardship. In fact, it's opposite of stewardship. He's not stewarding at all in hopes that maybe this would become his. And the master says, listen, at the very least, you should have, you should have put it in the bank and allowed it to build interest. But listen, if he puts it in the bank, what's he have to do? He has to declare the owner of it. And so he's demonstrating a poor heart of stewardship in all of this, whereas the first two people demonstrated a good heart of stewardship, and it all started with them recognizing that it didn't belong to them. They were simply entrusted with someone else's possessions for a season, and what the story reminds us of is that we will be held responsible and we will be held accountable for those things that God has entrusted to us, okay? And so what, what are those things? Before we start thinking this is just about money, because it's not. Biblical stewardship is about everything in your life that God has given to you that you've been entrusted with, right? So this includes things like your time, okay? This includes things like your talents, not the money, but the opposite now, your other talents, like listen, some of you are gifted at, at certain things, and God has entrusted that to you, right? You've been given that ability, and I think that God will hold us responsible and accountable for how we use those abilities for kingdom purpose, right? 
for, for gospel impact. Uh, it includes things like your possessions, right? All the things that you have, your, your cars, uh, your house, your uh, wh- whatever it is that you have, your possessions. It includes your spiritual gifts. I don't know if you know this or not, but every single person who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, has a spiritual gift, right? And you are expected to use that spiritual gift to lift up a body of believers around you, right? And so uh, you are a steward of that spiritual gift. It does include things like your money, right? Your, your money ultimately doesn't belong to you. It, it, it belongs to the Lord, right? And it comes from the Lord. And then last but certainly not least, even our very lives. Listen, if we understand Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, then we understand that even our own lives we are simply stewards of. We've been entrusted with them, right? And I believe wholeheartedly that we will give an account one day. We will be held responsible for what we've done with, with our lives, right? What, what God's given to us. And so this is, this is what we mean when we say stewardship. It's, it's, it's not just money. It's all of the things that God has blessed you with and given to you and, and granted to you for a season of time, all right? And so... Let's continue on. When we steward well, we're demonstrating hearts of obedience first, right? So now that we got a good understanding of what stewardship is, when we actually put it into practice, what are we doing? Well, we're demonstrating hearts of obedience, right? Like all throughout Scripture, we have example after example of what it looks like to be good stewards, right? And, and, and I, I just chose 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, because it is talking about, again, our spiritual giftedness and how uh, if we're a good steward of it, then we're demonstrating obedience. So look at this, 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, right? Again, there's examples of this all throughout Scripture. Your time, your possessions, your uh, spiritual giftedness, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. In fact, moms and dads in the room, your children, you have been entrusted with your children. They don't actually belong to you. They belong to the Lord, and you have been given the responsibility to carefully manage them and disciple them, right? Like that's what the Bible teaches us, that that we're accountable for their discipleship. And when we do that, when we practice good stewardship, We're demonstrating a heart of obedience because God's called us to do these things. Second thing was we demonstrate hearts of worship, right? Philippians 4.18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We talked about this when we went through the book of Philippians, but I love it because Paul uses language that that should make us think of acts of worship, right? Like he borrows on Old Testament ideas and says, listen, your participation in giving is, is worship, right? It's worshipful. Why? Because, because you're, you're, it's a fragrant offering to the Lord, right? You're, you're demonstrating that you have a heart of worship when you do those things. So same thing. When I disciple my children and I'm a good steward of them, that's worship. When I, when I use my time wisely for kingdom purpose, that's worship. That's a, that's a spiritual act of worship, right? When I, when I use my money for God-honoring things, that's also 
demonstrating worship. When you come into the room and you, you drop your tithes and offerings in that box back there or you give online nowadays, that's still an act of worship, right? You're, you're demonstrating that heart. And third on there, when we steward well, we're demonstrating hearts of faith. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I want to just stop right there for a second. Because reading through this this week, I came across two words that, that seem incompatible with one another, right? Paul, Paul in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians here is saying... That these people, when combining two things, joy in the Lord and their extreme poverty, when, they, when those two things came together, how did they respond? With an overflow of generosity. How do, how do those things go together? They seem incompatible, right? Like, what, what do you have to give if you're that much in poverty? Then what, and, and that's what he's saying. He said, listen, this is an act of faith. Why did they give this? Why did they want to demonstrate this faith? Look at verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So that's faith in God. For begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part of the relief of the saints. These people that are facing extreme poverty, like they are begging for the opportunity to be generous for kingdom purpose. And how can they do that? Like what, what provides them with that, that opportunity to be people like that? It's because they're people of faith. They understand the very first guiding principle, right? That all things belong to God, that God is the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills, right? Like I can be as generous as I need to be or can possibly be in this moment because I know the source of all things, because of their faith in God, they were able to be generous even in a time of extreme poverty because they know that God sees and that he knows and that it's honoring to him and, and God will, will bless them for that. So with, with all this in mind, let's, let's get practical this morning for a little bit. So here's our big question. What are ways we can better practice biblical stewardship? And by the way, before I even get into this, let me just say thank you to our church family. Like we have un unbelievably faithful and generous people here at Fellowship Olathe. And so none of this is an indictment. In fact, I, I want to commend you for your faithfulness and your generosity. Like it, it makes me proud as a pastor to know that we have people that are already doing this in a way that honors the Lord in an unbelievable way. But I also know that there are just some simple little practical things that we can all do to be better because I know this to be true. You might be, you might be killing it in one of those areas, but I promise you there's probably an area that, that the Holy Spirit's gonna illuminate this morning and say, is that one right there that maybe, maybe we can get a little bit better at, all right? Maybe that's your time. Maybe it's what you do with your possessions or maybe it's using your spiritual giftedness or maybe it is your money or whatever, but I'm, I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit deal with that. So here's, here, here we go. First thing on this Ways that we can better practice biblical stewardship. Number one, acknowledge that everything you have belongs to God. I know that sounds silly, and I know it seems so simple, but listen, this is, this is foundational for us to be good stewards. If we would filter everything in our lives through this idea right here, 
It will change things, I promise you. It will change your decisions. It'll change your actions. It'll change the things that you think are important. It'll help you, it'll help you come to the conclusion of th- these things have more value than, than other things, right? And, and, it, and it does that because it forces us to recognize that this doesn't actually belong to me anyways. So that when I get in that situation where I'm like, listen, I can join Genesis Health Club for $130 a month or I can feed my kids, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it helps guide those decisions, right? Like acknowledge that, that God is the owner uh, of all things, right? And so that's where it starts. And really those are just silly examples, but bigger ones we know it applies to even more. So acknowledge that everything belongs to God so that it'll change our decisions, our actions, and, and ultimately our hearts, all right? Number two, evaluate your stewardship and make changes if necessary. And remember, when we say stewardship, we're not simply talking, we're talking about all of those things. So we want to evaluate every area of our lives and see if there's changes that we need to make in order to be better stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So let's talk about a couple of those things real fast. Maybe for some of you, it's time. A couple weeks ago, we talked about rest and solitude and your need to, to basically break from the fray and be with the Lord so that you could be spiritually refilled, right? So, so that's, a, that's a time for you to be able to go and, and, and be alone. So that, that's significant time. But the Bible also talks about you being ready and willing to pour yourself out for others, all right, so maybe you need to evaluate time. Are you being a good steward of the time that God has given you? Not just are you doing all the things on your to-do list, accomplishing all the things that you want to accomplish, but how are you using your time that God has entrusted you with to benefit others? How are you using your time for gospel impact? How are you using your time for kingdom purpose, and do you need to make any adjustments there. Maybe it, it really is talents and not in the money sense, but, but the other talents. Like, are you, are you using what God has entrusted you with for the greatest gospel impact and spiritual giftedness? As I said before, every single person in the room that's professed faith in Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift. And the expectation is that you would be exercising that spiritual gift, not for your own fulfillment even. It's for the building up of the body. So you have gifts that I need, and I need you to exercise them so that we can be built up, right? And you need me to exercise my gifts so that we can be built up. And so for some of you in the room, maybe you just need to simply evaluate, am I actually using my spiritual giftedness to encourage, to build up, right? If not, be ready to make necessary changes, right? I said it's not only money, but it is money. So let's talk about money for a second. Right? Just like with your time, several weeks ago we talked about the, the, the much needed practice of creating margin, right? Same is true with your money, right? And, and I know it's difficult. Like, what, we have a waiting list at our house for money, right? Like anybody else have that? Like, it, like if I was to get a raise today, I've got things waiting in line for that already, you know what I mean? So we've, we've got to be very intentional about this. We've got to create margin. You've got to create space with it, right? Because if you don't have margin and you don't have space, you will be a poor steward of the money that God gives you. There will always be something ready to take it too. Trust me, there's bill collectors all around this city 
that wants your money. They want my money too. Everybody wants your money. That's why advertisement is a billions and billions of dollars industry every year, right? Because they want your money. And so in order for us to create margin, we've got to be very intentional so that we can be good stewards of it. So what are some very practical things that you can do? Let me encourage you to do this. Budget. Even if you don't need to budget, you've just got so much money, you can just do whatever you want. Budget anyways. Why? Because budgeting, budgeting is the practice of naming money, right? And so what it's going to do is it's going to force you to give names to it. And it's going to help you better understand what it's going towards. And then it helps you to better evaluate what you're doing. We, we use a, a, a money budgeting app. Everywhere, and the crazy part about it is like right on the side, we use every dollar. It's a, it's a Dave Ramsey deal. But on, right on the side, it will break down the percentages of what I'm spending my money on every single month. Right? You, you want something to, to give you a little bit of humility? Go in there and look at those percentages. Because even if I'm faithful to the Lord at a 10% tithe, I'm going, we spend how much on what? But it, but it forces us to name things. It's, it's a great exercise. Like I said, even, even if, if it's not something that you're, you're concerned about running out of, man, just budget it anyway so that you, can, that you can name it. And you'll be better at naming it for kingdom, kingdom purposes. You'll know exactly where you're at. So budget, create that margin. And, and, and second to budgeting, let me just talk a little bit this morning. I know it's not gonna be our favorite subject, but, but about debt for a second. You know, the average household in the United States is carrying around north of $5,000 worth of credit card debt right now. And your debt is keeping you from stewarding what God has given you the way that you want to steward it. I mean, think about that. It, it, it's money that's already pre-spent and that you're paying interest on. On top of that, I, I remember I learned this lesson firsthand. It was a very valuable lesson. I turned 18 years old. I don't know who, who over at MasterCard keeps track of everyone's birthday, but someone does, okay? Because the day that I turned 18 years old, I went to the mailbox and there were offers in there for me to take out credit card loans and stuff, you know? And so I'm like, you know what? I think it would be the responsible thing to go ahead and fill one of these out. I could build credit after all, right? And I'll be careful with it. I'm only going to use it in emergencies or stuff that I can pay off, right? Let, 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 me, let me catch you up to speed. I was making $1,200 a month. I'm 18 years old. They approved me for $5,000. Who is in charge of their approval process over there? Somebody who knows how to prey upon 18-year-olds, I guess. That's half of my yearly salary. I had no business having that kind of money on a credit card. In fact, I didn't have that kind of money. That's what credit means. You don't have this. And so I took that credit card out, and the first emergency that I used it on was a flat screen TV. It's like 40 inches. It's still about eight inches thick. I paid like $1,400 for this thing. Crazy. Young kids in the room are going, dude, you can buy like a 70 inch for 500 bucks now. Exactly. <laughs> if 
I would have saved up my money and not taken out a credit card. You get the story? My second emergency was a gaming computer. Because I'm 18. And know nothing. It's so quick. Man, I've, I've now got $2,800 worth of emergency, non-emergencies on a credit card. And you know what they didn't tell me when I, when I filled out the credit card thing? They didn't explain how interest works. And so I'm just thinking, I'll just make the minimum payment. This is awesome. I've got a new computer and a new TV for $30 a month. I thought that they were the idiots. And then I started getting the bill and, and finding that, oh, this compounds, okay. And so over time, what, what was, what was $2,800 is now maxed out. It's, it's over $5,000 because I'm making these minimum payments and sometimes I miss one because I'm you know, highly responsible. I let my sister eat dog food. You know that I'm not. So this interest rate's out of control, and, 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 and I was fine with it until I, I went to Aaron's dad, and I said, I would like to ask your daughter to marry me. And he said, I've got one question for you. We had known each other for a long time, six years. He said, i got one question for you. Do you have any personal debt? I thought, first, that feels like it's none of your business. But I'll answer the question. I do. I've got about $5,000. He said, listen, we love you, and we can't wait for you to be our son-in-law. You come ask me again when you get that paid off. I thought, what in the world is this guy talking about, right? And he looked me dead in the face, and he said, you know what? The main two causes for marital problems are finances and sex, and I want you to get the best start that you can possibly get. So I want you to be debt-free. Y'all have never seen somebody pay debt off so fast. <laughs> Half my yearly salary, I paid it off in a year. Why? Because I had incentive, right? For those of us in the room, if you're a follower in Jesus Christ, listen, that doesn't need to be your incentive. Your incentive is so that you can be freed up, so that you can have greatest kingdom impact. I mean, think about that. Like, like these, these young kids that we sponsor and have the opportunity to sponsor in Nicaragua, that's $40 a month. And, and here we are, we're, we're throwing five, $600 a month at car payments like it's nothing. And then going, man, 40 bucks, I don't know if I can sponsor more than one. Like, what? That's not just to make you feel bad. It's just to say, listen, you're, you're not freed up to be able to do with your money, what, what you would like to do. I know that you would like to. So all of that to say is this, get out of debt. And once you're out of it, don't go back in. Don't, don't entertain any of that. And this is all a part of evaluating your stewardship and making change if necessary. Let's move on. Number three, this is important too. Be generous and sacrificial with what you have been entrusted. Okay, why do I say generous and sacrificial? For most of us in the room, we're really, really good about giving out of excess, right? Like I said, we go to that budget and we go, hey, listen, there's $100 a month unaccounted for. What, what could we do with, with that for, for kingdom impact? And, and listen, what the New Testament actually teaches is a heart of, of generosity and a heart of sacrifice, Right? And that's important because I have conversations with folks all the time 
about, you know, well, the New Testament, New Testament doesn't teach tithing. That's an Old Testament principle. Listen, at no point in the New Testament did it say that that is abolished and gone, first off. And, and number two, Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, he just ups the bar. He doesn't even make it about a percentage. He makes it about sacrifice and a level of generosity. Let me prove it to you. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 41, says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny, right? So it's just set up like, this is real. This is what's happening. Jesus is sitting across. He's opposite the treasury. People are bringing in their tithes and offerings. They're dropping in. It says, there's some wealthy people here. So they're bringing in truckloads. Some of them are wheeling their money in on dollies, right? Like these are big sums of money. And here's this old widow lady. And as she walks by, she drops in two pennies, two copper coins, which for everybody else standing there was probably a joke, right? You're going, really? That's your gift to the Lord? But not to Jesus. You see, this is an unbelievable story in Scripture. Because it moves the heart of God so much that he actually calls his disciples over. Look at this, verse 43. And he called his disciples to him. Guys, come here, come here. Get in here. I want you to see something. I want to make sure that you don't miss something here. Person after person has gone by. There's some rich people. There's some big sums of money going here. But listen, I want you to see this woman because I see her. God sees her. Why? Because she's a woman of unbelievable generosity and sacrifice. How was it a sacrifice? He answers the question. Verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, and she put in everything she had. What percentage is that? For you math fans in the room. Well, 100%. And so God, listen, in true Jesus, he's like, listen, Throw that away. Quit, quit messing with the whole 10% and tithe. All. Listen, what is a level of sacrifice and generosity for you? That's what good stewardship looks like for your family. Looks different for mine than it does for yours. Listen, some of you, listen, you could come up here and you could drop $5,000 in the offering box. And, and, and the whole point here is that, that that might not even be at the same level of sacrifice as this widow who dropped in two pennies. And like I said, this is an indictment. I'm, uh, you are wonderful at all that. This isn't even about needs. This isn't even about the church. This is about you being a good steward of what you've been entrusted with. And so I just want to challenge you with it. Let's be people that are generous and sacrificial, not just here at church, but out in our community. Man, something we love to do, we, we haven't been doing it very long, but what we just started this this year. Once a month when we go out, we actually begin, and I'm not telling you this like, oh, we're awesome. I'm just giving you some practical stuff. We have literally budgeted an opportunity to be exceedingly generous to somebody in our community intentionally so that, hey one time we go to a restaurant and, and we just we're gonna leave this brother a hundred dollar tip some of you could do more than that but the whole the whole point though is that you would demonstrate a level of generosity and sacrifice with unbelievable intentionality 
for gospel impact, right? And so that's the challenge. Number four, I'm, I'm kind of overstepping it already. I'm already on it. Leverage what you have for kingdom impact, all right? Leverage what you have. What does that mean? Listen, use whatever God's entrusted you with for, for kingdom impact. Listen, moms, dads, you've been blessed with a minivan and you didn't fill up all the seats. Who are the kids that you're discipling your neighborhood and that you're dragging up here with you to church? That's being a good steward. Leveraging what you have for gospel impact. That's opening your home to people around you that are lost for, for a meal, demonstrating hospitality. Why? For, for, for kingdom impact, right? How are you going to leverage what God has given you? Listen, we've got a couple in this church that does this better than anybody else. And they're gonna probably kill me for even telling this story. But when I think of people who leverage what they've been entrusted with for, for kingdom impact. I think of a couple in our church that have been blessed with an unbelievable spread of property, some magnificent horses, and yet it's not about them. They don't just sit on their deck drinking coffee, watching their horses and 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 just messing around every day. No, they leverage it for kingdom impact. They have multiple children out there who have benefit of hearing about God's goodness and his grace and his mercy. And so they're using what God has entrusted them. In fact, one of my neighbor girls right now is benefiting from that. And it's simply because you have a a husband and a wife that are willing to leverage what God has entrusted them with for, for, for the biggest impact. Listen, we've got other families in here too. We've got families that are fostering young kids. We've got families that have adopted. That, that is leveraging what you have for kingdom impact. Leveraging what you have. And all of this has to do with being good stewards. Like I said, it's not just money. It's everything that God has entrusted to us, man. It's the time. It's every breath he's given you. It's every opportunity. It's, it's all of your possessions. It's your children. It's, your, it, it's all of it. And we will be held responsible and accountable, and I will stand before God one day, and I think that that's what he's gonna wanna know from me. What and how did you use what I entrusted to you for the kingdom of God? Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you that you are so good to us, God, that you have entrusted us with what you've, what you've given to us. God, and I pray that we would be reminded every single day, God, of the truth that it all belongs to you. God, we're simply managers of it. And God, we can do a good job and we can do a poor job. I pray that you'd help us to know how we're doing. I pray that you challenge us to make adjustments. God, I pray that we would be generous and sacrificial people because you are a generous and sacrificial God. And God, I pray above all else that we would use what you have entrusted to us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with every person that we possibly can.
pray this in Christ's name. Amen.